What up, what up, fight fans? Welcome back to episode 131 of the Pound for Pound King of Boxing podcast, The Tale of the Tape. I'm Kenny Keith, and I'm joined, as always, by Vince Cummings. What up, Ben? What up, brother? We got a uh, a weekend full of damn good fights. Uh, this might have been the best weekend of fights this year. Start yeah. to finish? Dude, the last couple months have kind of turned my brain to mush. Yeah. So I can't really remember what happened prior, but I love this weekend. Yeah, it was, I mean, just fun fights. Yeah, yeah, across the board. Uh, Triple G versus Kel Brook was the uh, the big fight of the weekend, but pound for pound star Tronco Tito Gonzalez steps up in weight, takes on WBC Super flyweight champion Carlos Quadras, uh, Kamagai versus Soto Carras, too. Jacobs versus Mora, too, on the PBC on Spike. Um, and a good battle of prospects taking the next step as Robert Easter Jr. squared off against Richard Kami. And then, of course, the fight preview this week, Vin. Oh, the big one, huh? Yeah, the big one. <laughs> From Jarrah's World, only a stadium the size of Jarrah's World can contain just the excellence, excitement, and pure boxing just uh this gonna be awesome he's got a world yeah it's, it's got to be big enough to house the amount of bullshit that comes along with this card oh <laughs> uh, canelo versus liam smith from dallas texas gabe Rosado, willie monroe jojo diaz in action and of course the fight that every diehard fight fan has been waiting for and any fan of the cruiserweight division it is here finally vin yes christoph glavatsky and Alexander. Usyk. I have been waiting for this fight all year. I mean, dude, this this is a can't miss, unbelievable action fight. It, it, look, it's it's the the crowning of the Usyk era. I mean, I, everybody is gonna gonna have to get used to watching this guy, at least in my opinion, dominate that division for the next five years. Oh yeah, unless somebody comes along. Right now, he is the baddest man at cruiserweight. Yeah, he is. Uh, he's storming the castle, about to um, to sit down on the iron throne mm-hmm. for, of the cruiserweight division, for sure. So, I have a preview of Christoph Glavatsky versus Alexander Usyk. But before we get to the post fight from this weekend and the preview of the next, you're listening to episode 131 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. I'm Kenny Keith. Follow me on Twitter at Kenny Keith Jr. and follow Vince Cummings at Vince Cummings. 81 drop by the boxing for all the ways to subscribe to the tale of the tape boxing podcast on iTunes, YouTube, Google play. And of course, Spreaker hit us up podcast at the boxing All right. So now that all of uh, the formalities are out of the way, sports rant radio presents episode one thirty one of the tale of the tape boxing podcast, which takes us to the O two in London, England, for Gennady Golovkin versus Kell Brook for the Unified Middleweight Championship of the World. As soon as HBO comes on air, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time, the first thing I notice is the crowd. And it looks just like the crowd 
visually that we saw at Golovkin versus Lemieux in Madison Square Garden, 20,000 packed tight. But what shocked me was the reception that Triple G, a guy that is perceived here in the United States by diehard boxing fans as being beloved all over the world, the UK came to this fight. They showed up. It sold out in 10 minutes. But they came to this fight not just to see Triple G fight, but they came to this fight to see their countryman, Kel Brook, dared to be great and fight Triple G because they had his back 100%. Yeah, I've, I've always noticed that throughout the years. And, you know, now we're on Twitter. We, we, you know, we have more interaction with UK boxing fans. As much as they sometimes will trash their fighter coming into a fight, like, the, the, you know, this guy's got no chance, da, 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 you know, whatever the case may be. But when the time the fight comes around, I don't think they're, they are the, the pride that they take in their fighters over there is far greater than we take in our fighters here. I mean, it's they put us to shame, seriously. Yeah. Well, I think it's a problem when a vast majority of American fight fans' favorite fighters are not from the United States. Right. Rarely ever do you hear a boxing fan throw more than one or two American fighters out when they're talking about their favorite fighters. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because they're from everywhere. They are. And uh, But the U.K. comes as, you know... From the days of Ricky Hatton and and those crowds that used to travel with him all around the world. I mean, this wasn't at that level because this was actually in England. Right. So, you know, it's not the same as traveling across the pond and representing like that. But we saw the support for the Jackal Carl Frampton when he came over and fought Leo Santa Cruz in New York. Mm -hmm. Um, And this UK crowd backing up Kel Brook was something else. And I'll be honest with you, Vin, when the White Stripes kicks in and you start hearing the music and Golovkin comes through, the reaction that he received from the crowd, I don't think he's ever had that reaction before. And I think it may have eventually impacted the way that he came out and opened the fight because he was booed entering the ring. Never once did you see him getting that, that hype pose where he's fist pumping and he's kind of bouncing along to the music mm-hmm. while, while the, uh, you know, the crowd is just cheering as loud as they can, singing along with the white stripes. This time he had his hood up, came in, and seemed to be the villain entering the ring. Because from the moment that he stepped into the ring, I, I, I seem to sense a lot of people were speculating that he was sick because of the rumors at the weigh-in and everything mm-hmm. um, and the look that was on his face. To me, he didn't look sick to me. He looked irritated. He looked agitated, and he looked frustrated. Yeah, just I just remember watching him walk in. I'm going, what the fuck is wrong with him? Like, something's off. Something was just off, whether it's personal life shit or whether he was sick or what, what people were talking about leading into this fight. It just was like, dude, something just doesn't seem right here and I, I think you're right I think he probably was a little fucking agitated because he's never been received like that anywhere really so to walk out and get booed and he probably thought you know he sold out he's thinking I'm you know these guys fight fans love me everywhere because I'm I'm just I'm that guy no not the case when you go to the UK buddy they will side with their boy and look I think in the end it, it it hurt his performance at the start of the fight because he got a little bit too anxious and was, was kind of reaching and, and trying too hard. And it, it made him vulnerable, really, the first couple rounds. Mm-hmm. But you could tell, yeah, once he settled in, my dude was, was on a mission. I think Kel Brook did exactly what we thought he was going to do. And honestly, what he was going to have to do. Um, he didn't come out and, and press Triple G at all. He kind of waited to see what Triple G was going to do. He actually felt the power a little bit before he implemented his offense because Kelbrick didn't do much of anything in the first round. But that second round, right, mm-hmm. that second round is when he started to have a little bit of success. Those next, 
those next couple rounds when Triple G had looked like he was getting so frustrated and just so annoyed at the fact that he hadn't clipped him yet. Right. You know what I mean? That Kell Brook was able to catch Triple G in these like recharging phases where it almost looked like he was like, okay, I threw mine out there. Now it's your turn. Right. And he would just put his guard up and stand there. And Kell Brook had a lot of success. I think his hand speed allowed him. I think I don't think it confused Golovkin, but what I think it did, I don't think Golovkin realized how many times he was going to get hit consecutively before he reacted. Right. I think maybe that's where the hand speed mm-hmm. was something else. Because most, I mean, let's be honest, <clears throat> outside of those, those, you know, isolated, and, and, and they were isolated in the sense that, I shouldn't say isolated, the sporadic offensive attacks and multi-punch combinations from Kell Brook, mm-hmm. <clears throat> that was not the majority of the story. That, that was what was the filler in between a fight where most of the time Kell Brook looked to be avoiding Triple G. Oh, yeah. He wasn't running by any means. He was there. He was right there. But he was spending a lot of energy trying to avoid the big shot. And early on in the fight, he was very successful outside of one left hook that hit him in the second round, which now we know, shattered the orbital bone. Yeah, he, he caught a big straight right before that left hook, too, and he was seriously wobbled. He grabbed a hold mm-hmm. for dear life because he was going down. And I even think, look, you know, even when the fight was was called and, and, and they, threw in the, they threw in the towel and, and everybody's getting all, ah, why'd they throw in the towel so early? You know, he could have kept going. Something was obviously wrong with the eye. He'd been pawing at it ever since the second round. Yeah. So obviously he felt something. You cannot blame the corner for throwing that towel in there to protect the guy. He's on the verge of, he takes one more big left hook. The guy might not be able to see out of that eye yeah. ever again. So they had to look for you know the future of, of Brooks' career when, when they did that. And I, I give them all the respect in the world for doing it. Most cornermen uh, let the, their ego get in the way of throwing a towel in too early to protect their guy. I, that was a great move. And look. Like we said in the preview show, I don't this this loss does not affect where Kell Brook goes in his career. He fought Triple G like a man. He stood up to him. He ate big shots. Um, kind of took punches ju- almost as well as we've seen anybody take Triple G's punches. Mm-hmm. So he's proven that he can, whether it's going to be 154 or 160, he will be a competitive fighter when he moves up to and settles in wherever he does. I, I give him all the respect in the world. Uh, you know, even though Triple G looked like it was, it did look like an off night. His punches looked slow. Did he not look like even when he was unloading, something seemed, whether it was, you know, maybe it was Brooks' ability to stay just a little bit out of range and he was kind of reaching that extra little bit. And when he threw a shot, he kind of would slow it down, it looked like, when he knew he wasn't going to land it. But it just looked like there was no snap on his punches. Yeah. I, I, dude, it I think wasn't that- the best performance we've seen from Triple G. Well, I'm not going to be too hard on him. I mean, you know, I think I think there's a lot of truth to what Bernard Hopkins said about those arm punches, about what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, Hopkins was saying that it looks like he's arm punching, that he's not getting, um, you know, that that can, you know, concussive power um, on punches. But let's be honest, man. At every point that that Golovkin had him in a situation where he could hurt him, um, it, it he was not successful in those multi punch combinations that we're used to seeing just destroying people unless he came in behind the jab, but it took him so long to get back to the jab because, dude, from the time that he he hurt that eye on Brooke, from probably midway through the second round to the time where the towel was thrown in, you saw Golovkin. 
hit him with that thunder pole jab. And I, oh. dude, I turned and looked at my wife a couple times with this look on my face, like, oh my gosh, like the jab was peppering him. But here's the thing if you're so excited about the success that Brooke is having and you're just so captivated, you're like, oh my God, I can't believe he's having this much success. He's winning these rounds, blah, blah. You're not even seeing what Golovkin's doing to him then. No. Because yeah. he, these are just utter domination. Just simple, straight punches right down the middle. Um, I don't believe that the, the power of Kell Brook posed any problem at all. I think uh, Golovkin took a lot of punches. I think he, he he's taken a lot more punches than we've seen. We also kind of start leaning more towards the fact that he was agitated than sick when you hear his comments in the corner in between rounds four and five mm-hmm. where Golovkin basically says in Russian, he said, all right, fuck this, enough playing around. Yeah, I'm going out there, I'm finishing him. But, and he yeah. got up off his stool and was absolutely possessed. And I guarantee you, the eye injury coupled with the way that Golovkin came out of the corner in the fifth round, because all that lack of sharpness, the arm punching, mm-hmm. uh, the off night, all of that disappeared because those punches that came in the fifth when he got up off his stool were coming with a fury. Oh, well, yeah, he came out nasty. And he was quick and yeah. he was strong. Yeah, he, he basically stalked out of the corner immediately and started throwing huge shots. And Brooke got caught a couple times, and then you see him dropping his hands backing up to the ropes and, and eating more shots. Oh, and his knees were knocking, yeah. dude. Oh when, well, oh, when they grabbed him after they threw in a towel, he was stumbling. Yeah. He was stumbling. He yeah. was going to go. So there's no point in, in, in letting him take any more punches. You know, you know what, I, what I was thinking as this was going on, as he comes out in that fifth round, Golovkin, and is possessed, I, I just wish there was a guy that would push him to that. You know what I mean? Like, where's the guy that's going to – bring out the actual monster that is Triple G. Like, it's almost like when you saw that, you're like, has this fucking guy been holding back? Like, for for the last three years, he, we're not really getting all of Golovkin because <laughs> he doesn't really have to. And he's he just kind of in there playing with his fucking opponents. Because, dude, that was fucking scary. Yeah, and it's, it's, look, and it's no disrespect to Kell Brook or the effort that, no. he, that he put in if Golovkin was, if that's the case. Like, I do believe that Golovkin goes out and plays with his food a little bit. I think he tried to knock Brooke out early, mm-hmm. and it didn't happen. So he got frustrated, regrouped, and Golovkin is a very cerebral fighter, uh, you know, fighter regardless what anybody wants to say from the outside about this guy. As are, you know, as is the case with with most top ten pound for pound quality fighters, is that they're able to assess and adapt. Um, Golovkin came out and put an app, you know. Uh, an absolute whooping on Kell Brook, but it's no disrespect to say, dude, Golovkin is just that good. Yeah. And guess what? So is Kell Brook. Kell Brook is just that good. It's just he's not a middleweight, and I and, and it's not that I'm making this excuse for him now saying, oh, well, he stepped up from welterweight. He should have never done that. That's not the case. What did I say in the preview show? I said, to me, the thing that was going to be most deferential in this fight, the one thing is that is not that he is going up to 160 and that he could never have success at 160. It's that he did not prepare for a fight at 160. He did not take fights at 160 to feel that kind of power. Mm-hmm. That, to me, was the biggest disadvantage in this fight. Not the 13 pounds moving up. None of that. Not even so much the skill. We're, we're really splitting hairs when you're talking about arguably the best fighter in the world and the 10th best fighter in the world. Right, right. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, oh, definitely. So at the end of the day, I think that Kell Brook did what Kell Brook could, and he just was not – he wasn't prepared for that kind of fight. Had, had he taken opponents in the interim? But I'm not even saying – like, I look back on this now – 
I think Chris Eubank Jr. and Billy Joe Saunders would have been good tune-up fights for Kell Brook. They probably would have been. You know what I'm saying? Because after the performance he put forth against Gennady Golovkin, I'm 100% convinced that if Kell Brook took a fight in his very next fight against Chris Eubank, he would destroy him. I think so, too. I think he'd destroy Saunders. I think he'd... Even in defeat and, and being knocked out in the fifth round, which, it, look, there's no, there was no surprises here. We, we expected, we got what we were expecting yes. with this fight, pretty much. Uh, th- this is not to say that from here moving forward that Kell Brook is not going to be doing damage because I think one thing he proved is you know, he couldn't take it. He couldn't take the heat at 160. He couldn't take the power. The accumulative shots just kind of warmed down. I, that's not going to be the case with anybody besides Triple G. There's not guys... There's not other middleweights out there that punch like G does. It's just not It's not the case. So he will do very well. I don't give a fuck who you put him in there with. I, I would say right now, if he decided to say tomorrow, yes, I'm staying at 160, he's, he's immediately sniffing the top five. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think, I think that he proved that, and I think he deserves that kind of recognition. But to all of the, the naysayers out there that are bitching and whining – Saying that the that Kell Brook would have won the fight, he had taken like Matthew Macklin says that Kel, like Kell Brook had taken over the fight, and that his corner pre- uh, his corner prevented him from winning the fight. Did you see the scorecards? No, I didn't. Two cards at thirty eight thirty eight. Okay. One card thirty nine thirty seven. Brook. Yeah. At the time of stoppage. No, that's not even mathematically possible, man. And 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 look, let, I mean, let's be honest. The thirty eight thirty eight. Okay, fine. Whatever I can, dude. I can see a. You, you could see. I could see you giving Brooke the first round, but you would have to fucking stretch for that. The second round, you could give him. I, I gave him the second round. I, I don't know where you get two rounds from. Yeah, that's whatever, man. I mean, dude, you you heard the crowd in, right. the, in you know in the UK. Exactly. You know, funnier things have happened. I, that's no excuse. Look, I think the entire argument about Kell Brook didn't get to finish. What you know? What he came to do that Kelbrook didn't get to capitalize off of the lead that apparently the judges and some fans in the UK thought that Kelbrook had. All of that, Vince, to me, is a one hundred percent moot argument. You and here's why: because as soon as Gennady Golovkin pulverized Kelbrook's orbital bone in the second round, the fight was over. Yep. It was just a matter of time and how it was going to end. Was it going to drag to the seventh and eighth round until Gennady Golovkin hurt him so bad that he's blind for the rest of his career? Was it going to end in the third round? Because he couldn't take the pain. Once it broke, it was just a matter of how and when. The fight was already over. So mm-hmm. don't give me this shit about, oh, he threw in the, uh, the, you know, the corners uh, uh, prevented Kell Brook from being able to, to, uh, you know, to beat Gennady Golovkin. He was winning that fight, blah, blah, blah. No, stop it. Stop, 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 stop. Yeah. The fight was over as soon as the orbital bone crushed. It, yeah. was, it was done. Yeah, you're right. It was just a formality. Uh, and, you know, look, it's, it's fine, you know. I get the, the 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 fandom and the backing of Brooke, but yeah, come on, man, have a little bit of fucking sense before you speak. It's, it's, you sound like a fucking idiot, Macklin. Nobody watching that fight. It, if you were scoring that fight for Brooke, you were scoring based on the crowd. That's what you were doing. And those little moments we right. talked about. There was fucking Golovkin was stalking him around the ring and throwing huge shots. Were they landing all the time? No. Absolutely not, but he was in complete control at all times in the ring. Never once, just because he got hit a few times, that doesn't mean he wasn't in control of the fight. He was. He was fighting a top 10 fighter in the world. Yes. He was fighting one of the best boxers in the world. Why can't... Why 
to the simple-minded boxing fan out there, why can they not compute that? They can't get past the fact that... He's a welterweight, Ken. Exactly. They can't get past the fact that he came up 13 pounds. So any other argument outside of that, it's like, stop. Give your guy fucking credit for getting in there and having the balls to do what he did. He did spectacular. He fought well off the ropes. He counterpunched well. He caught Golovkin sleeping in a bunch of flurries. He ju- it just didn't happen. It was not going to happen. Mm-mm. And the fight was over in the second round. So... Y- Call it whatever you want. Twelfth right. round knockout. Second round knockout. A knockout's a knockout. He was never going to win this fight. No. From the opening bell on. It was never there was never one moment in this fight where you went, Brooke might Brooke might have this thing. He might actually beat Triple G. But that being said, Vince, Kel Brook, my hat's off to you. Yeah. For okay. having the balls to do what other people can't do. What did Chris Eubanks say after the fight? Uh he said, You want to fight a real middleweight? Because we don't own towels. And then what was the comment on Twitter about about where he puts those towels? <laughs> I believe it was the Hamanites on Twitter said, uh, what do you, uh, you keep your balls with those towels? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so funny, that man. fucking clown, man. I mean, I, I can't, I, I, I just, the fucking guy is a retard. Well, apparently, so, you know, moving into what's next a little bit, transitioning, you know, obviously Eubanks' name's going to come up. Gennady Golovkin calls out Billy Joe Saunders. Mm-hmm. He wants that last belt. Maybe he's having trouble making 160. Maybe he wants to just get it over with so he can move on to the next chapter in his life and maybe have a second chapter. So he had his middle, you know, his middleweight reign, dominance. Okay, that's Hall of Fame worthy. Now let's move to 168 and see what we can do here. I don't know if that's the case, but based off of the consistency of what Golovkin has said, Billy Joe uh, Saunders should be who he wants next. Now. We're about to get to Danny Jacobs versus Sergio Mora, too. And we'll just talk about a part of that. Danny Jacobs in his post-fight says that he wants Golovkin next. We had talked about in episode 130 about how we felt, based off the information that the WBA was putting out there and the parties of both Jacobs and Golovkin, was that the WBA would mandate um, that Danny Jacobs and Gennady Golovkin negotiate a fight within 30 days. If it cannot be negotiated, that it would go to purse bid. Well, a wrench has been thrown into this, as I'm hearing, that HBO will not will not be putting on any fight involving Danny Jacobs and Gennady Golovkin. So if HBO's not involved, does it even go to purse bid? Does K2 try to, try to win the purse bid and put the fight on somewhere else? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Does it go to purse bid and they just go ahead and default since Gennady's going to get the lion's share of whatever the purse would be, and let Showtime do it. Is he, are they just going to say, listen, we'll be a co-promoter, and this can be a PBC show? If, if he is allowed, if HBO comes let out... let him go to Showtime, you think? Listen, if, if, if HBO is brazen enough to make that comment now before anything's been mandated, before we even know what is next, unless they already know what is next, why would HBO say that now and open the door and basically uh, tap Al Heyman on the shoulder and say, hey, this is your opportunity to get Golovkin on the PBC... While it may be good for boxing, it would be the worst thing in the world for HBO's relationship with Gennady Golovkin. And if they allow him to go fight on another platform in the prime of his fucking career, then Peter Nelson is what I'm beginning to think he is. And he is a Fairweather fan. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That he is a bandwagon hopper, that he's just going to ride, you know, strike while the iron's hot, move on to the next thing. The way that they, and I'm not saying, I'm not completely blaming HBO. But the fact that they're just letting Manny Pacquiao walk away after he's made them hundreds of millions of dollars, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And they're just going to be like, no, the worst thing that HBO could do is allow Gennady Golovkin to go to the PBC. Now, if that makes 
Golovkin versus Jacobs happen, and it makes other fights possible in the future by him crossing over and doing that, well, then, oh, well, you snooze, yeah. you fucking lose, HBO. Yeah, I, look, I, I don't feel bad for HBO in this situation at all. They, Neither do I. They've painted themselves in a fucking corner with the way they've operated this year. And, yeah, now you have a guy that uh, he's your he's your fucking star. He's all you have, basically. Him and Canelo. Yeah, Canelo. We, uh, yeah, right. But Canelo's strictly pay-per-view. Right. I mean, that's HBO pay-per-view. Golovkin fights on the network, period. I, I don't understand how you could be stupid enough to let that happen. Why wouldn't you bring Danny Jacobs to HBO for a fight? I don't care if he goes and fight. Don't, don't get me wrong. I, I'm not saying I don't want Triple G to go fight on a PBC platform. I'm all fucking for it. If that's what it takes to get the fight done, I don't give a shit if it's PBC, ABC, DN. I, don't, I could care fucking less. Yeah, put it on the, D, uh, on the FYI channel. It just fucking figure out a way to get it done. Yeah. And I no HBO, I don't fucking feel sorry for you. I don't either. I think it's absolutely ridiculous that that why would you just come out and draw a line in the sand? I, look, I get sometimes we answer questions that were asked and don't think about well, maybe I should have eh, been a little bit more vague mm-hmm. in, in my response. Maybe that's the case. But from what I'm seeing, that they're uh, you know they're going to be in the boxing business less and less and less because the moves that they're making and the sort of hard stances that they're taking towards their fighters. Look, it seems like they're transitioning out. I don't know. Who knows? I mean, look, if the, if the thing goes to purse bid and let's just say it's four or five million dollars, what's the difference? HBO is going to pay the purses for a Golovkin fight anyways. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Look, I know that match rooms, Sky Sports box office, their pay-per-view machine had a big impact on the financials. Oh, yeah. Of Golovkin versus Brooke because of the size of the event, the two fighters wanting to get paid what they think that are deserved. And I think they got paid fairly for the fight. Um, what did they both get? Four? Uh, it was it was more than 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 anybody on the PBC is making. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. No, because this was a fight involving like two real stars. Yes, like 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 two international, well known international fighters. Right. Kell Brook is a star it, in the UK. This isn't the Charlos who think because they're the biggest name in Houston that automatically means the world. No. You know what I mean? No. This is like re- this is a real life situation. <laughs> you know what this I'm is saying? based in reality. Yeah. So, with all this being said, and boxing doing what boxing does, throwing wrenches in anywhere it can, right when you think you have a clear path to something, what's next for Gennady Golovkin? I don't know, man. I, I, I fear that Billy Joe Saunders is headed for a Canelo Alvarez fight next, not a Gennady Golovkin fight. Um, if they can't get the Jacobs fight done, where, where's, where does he turn at middleweight? Where do you go? Nobody wants to see another fucking mandatory. I think everybody's about fed up with the with the Dominic Wades of the world. It, nobody wants to see that anymore. It, it, it was fine, and we, and I get why he why he's doing what he's doing to hold his belts and and unify the division. And I respect the shit out of him for doing it. But there comes a point in time, especially in this market of boxing now, where he's gonna have to go. He's gonna have to go looking. He's gonna have to find a fighter to that basically creates risk for him. That that's what people are they're tired of it and they want to they want to see Triple G take a risk. Well, your hey, your boys, actually your two best friends, uh, Coppinger and Ioli, having oh. a, having a conversation after this fight because they hey, look. Um, if there's one thing we know about Coppinger and Ioli is that they have no idea what they're watching. No. So as a result of watching a fight where Triple G um, crushes a man's face and 
has to quit the fight in the fifth round. They think because of that, that now all of a sudden, what they've said all along, that Ayers Londi Laura would be the guy to beat Triple G. Now, yeah, Laura fight, yeah. Yeah, Laura would definitely beat Triple G now. Get the fuck out of here, man. Arizondi Lara won't even fight anybody in his own fucking division. It's clear. This, this is the words of Mike Coppinger. It's clear that guys with movement give Triple G problems. I'm anxious to see him fight, face a big, fast middleweight. Maybe a southpaw. What? Oh, really? <laughs> where, where in that fucking fight did movement give him trouble? He had fucking Brooke cut off everywhere he went. By the third round, all Brooke could do was circle the ropes. He could not do anything else. Triple G was in complete command of where that fight went. And so you retard. So so in what part of Kell Brook's successful moments in that fight that showed some vulnerability from Golovkin? At what part did at what point in the fight did the Orthodox, aka right handed fighter, Kell Brook, show you in the moments of his success that a Southpaw would have success? A, a, a lateral moving Southpaw on top of it. Yeah. How can you deduct that from watching Golovkin fight against a counterpunching right-hander <laughs> that did not move? They, Kel- just wanted a, they just wanted a reason to be able to say that fucking Laura has a chance. That's all they were looking they for. They pulled that out of thin fucking air. I know. <laughs> Kel Brook did not have successful moments against Gennady Golovkin because he ran and backpedaled and threw punches off his back foot like Arizondi Lara does. Yeah. Kell Brook had success because he timed and ranged Golovkin properly after Golovkin would throw his flurries and popped him off at the perfect range with quick, accurate punchers that had nothing to do with fucking lateral movement because the only lateral movement, oh, I should say 90, 90% of the lateral movement in this fight from Brook was him getting away from a stalking Triple G. So how the fuck does that translate to a guy that was dropped twice by Alfredo Angulo? That just doesn't. It doesn't make Get the fuck out of here. Somebody, yeah. Look, look. somebody who knows somebody, everybody's fucking connected. Please forward this show to an executive for whoever <laughs> the fuck pays these two retards to cover the sport because they have absolutely, they're charlatans. They, know, they, they have no idea what they're seeing, Vince. Absolutely no idea. I would take Kell Brook right now. I would give you 10 to 1 odds over Ayers Laura oh. today. Come on, man. Period. Today. The, the, the obsession with wanting Triple G to face Erzlandi Lara by so-called experts is a fucking joke. It's a complete joke for the exact reason you just stated. What Kel Brook proved is he has a fucking chin. Erzlandi Lara has proven he has no chin. None. He has very thin fucking whiskers. Triple G would annihilate him inside of three rounds. He would get pinned on the ropes. I, th- I think it would take one time of, of Triple G pinning Lara on the ropes, one body shot, and he'd be done. Erzlandi Lara does not stand a fucking chance against Triple G. And if that's like your, 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 this is your claim to, I know who can fucking beat Triple G. It's Erzlandi Lara. He's the greatest boxer we have. His lateral movement is so ridiculous, Ken. His jab is, oh, he's a, he's a southpaw. It might happen. It's, you guys are the biggest fucking joke in the sport. Uh, was Ioli commenting while he was at the UFC fight? Because I know that's what he was covered. <laughs> of he's course. A, he's a UFC shill now. He, he is up fucking the UFC's ass like you wouldn't believe, and he thinks boxing's dead anyways. He's, already, he's written articles about it. Yeah. He wants no part of the sport, so he watches it 
from the corner of his fucking eye. Yeah. I don't just stop fucking commenting on it. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Everybody is tired of hearing your ridiculous bullshit. That's exactly what it is. Absolute ridiculous bullshit, man. Dude, look, we can go on and on and on about this. I think at the end of the day that both fighters deserve credit for their performances. Whether you think Golovkin looked off or not, whether you think he was aggravated, whether you think that Kell Brook is just that good, I think all of it is partially true. All of it is the story of this fight. At the end of the day, the guy won who was supposed to win. Mm -hmm. And the guy who won just so happens to be one of the best fighters in the world. And stop talking about Ayers Lani Lara. Stop trying to make him relevant by bringing him up. Because here's the thing. How can you possibly know anything about fucking boxing? Honestly, truthfully, it's a serious question. How can you know a thing about this sport and support and promote Arizlandi Lara and Guillermo Rigondeaux? Here's the thing. I, I don't think it's possible for you to know as much about boxing as a lot of our listeners and as a lot of the people out there that know what the fuck is going on, that have knowledge of the situation in this sport. Because if you're only watching boxing once or twice a year, because that's what you do as an Arizlandi Lara and Guillermo Rigondeaux fan. You watch a, a guy fight once or twice a year against absolutely irrelevant foes, and you think right that then and there gives you expertise on this fucking sport. Watch the sport. There's other fights going on. And stop tuning in twice a year making a fucking opinion. Okay? Because what you end up happening is you're going to get exactly what you asked for, and then your fucking favorite fighter is going to be walking around town without a head on his shoulders. <laughs> That's definitely what would fucking happen. If you would like to see Lara's head shot into the crowd about 20 rows deep, then go ahead. Ask for that fight. You'll, you'll get it. <laughs> you will get your fucking head knocked off. No, nobody wants to see that, Vin. No. Nobody wants well, to I see that. Do. Look, man, look, we're starting to see these examples in recent memory. You can start to piece these things together, and, and, and you really start to understand uh, what it was that caused uh, uh, Lucas Matisse and his team to say no mas, mm -hmm. um, you know, when he fought against Victor Postal. It's the same thing. Once that goes, I mean, you don't start pawing at your eye because you're bleeding a little bit. You got right. a little blood trickle, unless you're just a little bitch and have never bled before. Yeah, something like that he'd never blood. felt before. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that was something. When you're pawing like that, you know, it's like yeah. when you see, like, a dog on the ground, and if they're, like, continuously pawing at an area, Oh, they're probably not just, you know, it's probably not just an itch. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, they might have just gotten, like, like you know, chomped on by a big nasty-ass spider. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened to Matisse and Brooke. All right. So, uh, we didn't get to see in the United States. They didn't broadcast the uh, the Haskins versus Hall fight. But Haskins did what we thought he was going to do. Yeah. yeah Outpointed him. John Real uh, Casimero did exactly what he was supposed to do against Charlie Edwards. Yeah, I picked Charlie Edwards to win win that on points in the pool, and I just thought maybe the kid's young enough, quick enough. He's fucking bold move from him, ninth fight as a, as a professional yeah. to to fight a guy that's kind of coming into his own right now as a fighter. But when and, I saw three knockouts and eight career fights, yeah, and he's fighting against a Filipino, yeah, <laughs> I wish I would have went the other. My, <laughs> I went with my heart, and I should have went with my gut because right. my gut told me Casimero was going to fucking knock him out. Yeah. Oh, dude, when when uh, when the next big pod sent over the uh, the fights to pick, I was I was sitting there thinking to myself, I was like, hold on a second, this is one of these, uh, you know, like it's like looking at one of these spreads where it's too good to be true, right? You know right. what I mean? It's mm -hmm. like, hold on, so they're going to put their guy in as the B side against this guy because everything I'm reading says Casimero should dominate this guy. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, we didn't get to see any of that, but I'm sure all of our, uh, our friends in the UK can fill us in. Plus, uh, um, definitely going to try to watch that sometime this week. Um, 10 o'clock PM later on in the evening, it was a little bit too much of a break for me. Then I, I got a little restless in between yeah. Golovkin Brook for this thing to start. Um, Chocolatito 
versus Carlos Quadras moving up um, to take on the WBC Super Flyweight Champion of the World from the Forum in Inglewood, California. Let me just say this. We talked about Yoshihiro Kamagai versus Jesus Soto Carras, too, being the fluffer, just to get everybody nice and worked up and into a lather before Chocolatito and Quadras came out. Mm-hmm. I don't even think it took that. That crowd was absolutely insane. Fucking 115-pounders selling out the Forum. I yeah. mean, it was... That crowd was going apeshit. Yeah, it was a damn good crowd and unexpected. You don't, yeah, like you said, 115 pounders headlining and, and filling an arena, especially in the United States. I mean, I know it's it's big in, in Asia, but that never happens here. Yeah. And what a fucking fight. Yeah. What a fight, man. You yeah. were right. This, this it, it wasn't the fight of the year, but it is in the conversation with those fights. It was just unbelievable action. Uh, Carlos Quadras was, is, is better than I thought he was. And, and and I thought he was good, but he's really good. <laughs> um, dude, I was really surprised, and 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 one of the things I agreed with with the announcing crew, I think it was, I think it was Hopkins that said, you know, Chocolatito is usually the kind of guy that comes out here and like fills you out for two or three rounds before he, you know, has that like that, uh, you know, that killer's mentality. Mm-hmm. Dude, he was shot out of a cannon. I mean, I've never seen him that electrified early, and I think it's something that you spoke to. Didn't translate in the power department like we thought it would, right? But I think we saw the impact and the effects of him fighting at a healthier weight for him because the energy that he had early in that fight and the energy that it took to keep Quadras at bay in those last five rounds because the last five fucking rounds of that fight were mm. fucking brutal, dude. Yeah. Brutal. I, and, and you're right. Chocolatito was in constant, perpetual motion, moving his arms, throwing punches more than I think uh, I can remember him throwing punches in at least the last few fights anyways. He had to dig so fucking deep to keep Quadras off him and, and just, look, he won the fight, and he won the fight, you know, I'm not going to say handily, but he, he won. There's no question that he was the winner, but good God, man. I mean, that was a test, and you got to think that, you know, in these lower weight classes, uh, at the by the age of thirty, you're 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 an old man in those divisions, so he's approaching his thirties. Is is he starting to slow down already? C- can you take that away from that fight last night? As I don't think you can. I think he proved. Did you hear people saying that? Yeah, and I think you can. Pr- I think what he did in that fight was prove that he had a fucking gear <laughs> that we didn't know he had. Which is a. I mean, yeah, we, we knew he had killer instinct. But when when pressed and when pushed, uh, he's got another gear, and he and he showed that in this fight. I, I just am continually impressed with this dude. Uh, there's a reason why he's number one pound for pound. Not only is he highly skilled, but his fights are normally uh, they're the some of the best fights of the year every year. Every year, every year, and 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 this isn't a guy like dude. You know, it's 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 one of the things. It's not just that he's the best boxer in the world that gives him sort of this like this untouchable, like, like almost magical aura about him. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? It, it, there's a myth and a legend that kind of follows him because, you know, the first, like, 15 really big fights of his career didn't happen in the United States. Right. So what people don't realize about Chocolatito is that on this run, okay, he's 15-0 as a world champion yeah. with nine knockouts. 15-0 with nine knockouts. This guy has fought a murderer's row of fighters over the last five years. He's fought 10, 15 fighters in a row that are world class. Mm -hmm. People want to sleep on it because he's so much better. And really, he hasn't been tested. Estrada tested him, but at no 
point in that fight did you ever think Estrada was winning the fight because no. Chocolatito was always in control. And, it, dude, a perfect dime that was dropped um, by Letterman is when he said, nobody in the sport has effective aggression that wins effective aggression every single round of every single fight like Roman Chocolatito. He's the most effectively aggressive fighter in the world. And what people need to recognize, yes, this was a great fight. And, yes, we thought it was going to be a great fight. That's all fine and good. Most people believed most of that. Carlos Quadras coming into this fight was arguably the best 115-pounder in the world. Yeah. Okay? If now, there's one better, I'd like to see him. Well, well here's the thing. All, all, all the guys that are, you know, have their dicks out, you know what I mean, and mm-hmm. the, uh, the ones that leave the short-sighted, retarded trolling comments on YouTube right. that whack to these guys, these, these guys have never even seen fucking fight before. In a way? In a way, okay? Look, I believe in a way is the goods. The guy's got 11 fucking career fights. And, right. I, and I'll tell you right now, I would say it's a 50-50 fight if he, caught, if he fought Quadras today just based off experience yeah. and just based off of the motor that we saw Quadras have during the entire fight with the best fighter in the world. Yeah, the, the whole in a way, like, I, I feel like guys just like to use the name, like, I oh, know. I know I know about this guy. Do you guys, I don't think everybody knows about him. He's he, You don't know about fighters in Japan? Come on, man. Look, yes, the guy is very fucking good. In a way, is a beast. And he's dangerous as fuck. Yes, but let, let's just calm down with the fucking, it, it, you don't have to try so hard, yeah. okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, look, great fight. Carlos Quadras, great performance. Carlos Quadras, I think, really did himself a disservice by not taking our advice, Vin. <laughs> by not coming out like a chicken with his head cut off. He should have came out aggressive. Yeah. The reason he lost this fight, there was a 115-113 card. There was a 116-112 and a 117-111. Mm-hmm. But the reason why there wasn't a card in his favor, or two cards perhaps in his favor, was because he did the exact opposite of what he needed to do. What did we say he should not do? Do not come out and try to box with Chocolatito Gonzalez. No. You will get picked apart. And that's why Chocolatito dominated the early rounds of this fight. Yep. Absolutely dominated. Because Quadras tried to box with the best boxer in the world. Yeah, you, you, you can't do that. You got to. Once he roughed it up, he was, he, he was successful. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe he couldn't do that for an entire 12 rounds. So he waited, knowing that I got to conserve a little energy if I'm going to come on strong here at the end. <clears throat> but, yeah, that if he wanted to win that fight, and if anybody wants to beat Chocolatito, it is going to take uh, an amount of pressure that I, I don't know anybody has in them at that division. Oh, man. You know what? I'm not so sure that the corner of Quadras or Quadras had a game plan to, to preserve energy. And the reason I say that was because of some of the most obnoxious um, an over-exaggerated back acne that I've ever seen on a fighter <laughs> in a fight. I think they knew full well that they had 12 rounds in the tank. Yeah. I, look, I'm not, I'm not going to accuse anybody of something specific, but what I'm going to say is, is I saw a guy who got more powerful, who got faster, who got stronger as the fight went on, mm-hmm. and he just so happened to have the fucking Andes and fucking pimples going down his back. <laughs> I noticed that, too. And that's always the fucking huge red flag. Oh, I was eating. I was just. I just had a steak for dinner last night, and, <laughs> yeah. all, and all of a sudden, I turned into the Incredible Hulk. Yeah, no, you're right. I wasn't even thinking about that till you brought it up. He did seem to get stronger as the fight went on, and it's yeah, it makes you question, man. Because he took a beating in the first six rounds. Yeah, even though he was successful. Was there testing for this fight? I don't. I don't know if there was. No or idea. Yeah, I have no idea. Um, you know, look. Sometimes, and I'm not saying that this is always the case. But sometimes when you have international promotional companies coming together and multi 
and and and, and multiple pro- uh, promotional companies come together. Mm-hmm. Some things seem to get lost in the details. Some things fall through the cracks because not everything can be agreed to. Right. What I do know is, is that there has been um, a consistent problem with certain PEDs when it comes to Mexican fighters. Okay. Oh yeah. And there's always been this get out of jail free pass because the meat's toxic in Mexico. <laughs> so it's like, oh, but we live in a place where the food's poisonous. So what do you expect? You expect us to live in radioactive sewage and not grow three penises and six arms? <laughs> I mean, look, it's a little bit extreme, but I'm I'm telling you right now, yeah. I, I could not help but notice, especially from from rounds eight through twelve, how strong he got. Yeah. And I just kept seeing those 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 mountains on his back just growing were- more and more. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's not a turtle shell. Yeah. Uh, look, he very easily could have been. I I hope not. And that's one thing. Like, we, we don't – we had to ask if there – I had to ask you, was there testing in this fight? Yeah. There, there fucking needs to be. Like, there shouldn't have to – you shouldn't have to ask whether there was <laughs> testing for this fight or not. Right. It should be a fucking rule. There should always be drug testing. This fucking sport, man. <laughs> uh, it's unbelievable. But, I, dude, I'll tell you what. Chocolatito – I took a pounding. Oh, he did. His face was swolled up. It was very, very swollen. He took some hard shots. Um, he did not take as many. I mean, look, if you look at the at at their two faces, you know, Quadras had you know had some nicks, but Quadras got hit with far more solid crisp punches from a guy that still does punch hard at 115 pounds. Yeah, uh, if you looked at the faces after the fight, you probably thought, without watching the fight, that Quadras won. Yeah, it was a hell of a fight. I mean, Gonzalez's face was mashed up. I mean, he, his eyes were swollen shut, Yeah, basically. Yeah, man. He wasn't going to last much longer. If that was a 15-round fight, he'd have been in trouble. That swelling was getting bad. Yeah, and and look, I mean, we've seen enough fights to not you know weigh in too much as to like the you know the damage that was taken by Chocolatito because at the end of the day, man, Chocolatito is fucking bad to the bone, he and uh, dude, he put on a hell of a performance. Um, so did Quadras, and dude, you step up in weight and you basically take on the guy who most people that don't jerk off to guys have never seen fight before. Um, considered to be the the best 115 pounder in the world. So now, with that being said, let's just go off of Ring Magazine's rankings. Mm-hmm. So by beating the number two ranked 115 pounder, Chocolatito automatically slides into that number two spot. Right. Quadras probably moves back to three. Mm-hmm. So that puts Inouye and Chocolatito one two at 115 pounds. Inouye was at the fight last night. He was. He was. Is Inouye with 11 career fights ready? Chocolatito has. An unbelievable chin, dude. Oh, he does. Uh, you know, I don't know if anybody is ready for Chocolatito, especially a guy with 11 fights. I mean, like we, we talked about him before, I, I, I respect in a way and, and what he is as a fighter. He's damn good. Got a hell of a body shot. Damn good fighter. But he is, to me, not on the level of Chocolatito and would lose that fight. Not, I don't even think he would do really that well. He'd win a few rounds, but I think Chocolatito busts that man up. Yeah, I do too. Um, I do too. Well, who do you want to see next? You want to see Estrada? You want to see Inouye? I doubt we get either of them. But no. it, I, you might get a Quadras rematch. They might run that fucking thing back. Yeah, you never know. There's got to be somebody out there. Um, they'll find somebody decent. They're not going to go after some schlep. No, no, no. Um, okay, the co-feature. Yoshihira Kamagai versus Jesus Soto Cross 2. Real briefly, I thought the fight was was entertaining. I thought Kamagai was clearly the fresher fighter. Yeah. Jesus, all they kept talking about the narrative during during the telecast was how Jesus Soto Carras was considering about retiring after the last fight, but came back for this fight. He was clearly shot, and I'll be honest, knowing that now, I'm I'm utterly shocked he lasted as long as he did because 
Kamagai actually had a really nice jab in this fight. He did. He he was by far the better fighter uh, last night. It was was not even close. And I think, you know, I thought Soto Karras was already shot coming into their first fight, and he pulled one out of the bag, and, and he went the distance and fought a very hard, tough fight. Uh, it was For him to be able to do that again was pretty far-fetched. I mean, this guy has been in wars. He's been his biggest downfall is, is the his ability to take a punch. He's just taken too much of a beating. And last night it was just you saw the the culmination of that. He just didn't have it. There's nothing left for him. No. No, no there's not. And the thing is though too is that with, you know, I mean, Kama guy's a little bit younger and he's got like 25 less fights career. Yeah. than uh than Soto Karras. Plus he's got a uh boulder for a head. Yeah. Dude, that head he can take some shots. Yeah, for days. <laughs> for days. And that's what's interesting about Kama guys. I, I, you know, maybe they wait until he gets a little bit older. Maybe it's just the fact that he's been associated, um, you know, with Golden Boy. But, look, Yoshihiro Kama guy, to me, would be I – I don't see anybody in the welterweight division. I, I don't see Danny Garcia. I don't see Keith Thurman. I don't see any of these guys taking on Kama guy. Because you think it's like, well, hey, most people view Kama guy just as a tough journeyman. I would love to see Kamagai versus Danny Garcia. I think Kamagai would beat the hell out of him and then lose a ridiculous blown scorecard, and, and Garcia would walk away with another gift. I'd like to see him stay at 154 and go after all them pussies that don't like to fight each other. He just said it right there, though, Vin. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. These guys won't even fight each other. No, they won't. Now, apparently, Julian Williams versus Charlo might happen in December. Maybe. Maybe. Who knows? Yeah. Charlo, he might decide to have another surgery and just... Not tell anybody about it and say, oh, I'm going to have to push push this fight back another few weeks. Dude, maybe he's just too big of a star in his hometown. You know, he just... He, big fight lined up. He just happened to, oh, I forgot about this LASIK eye surgery <laughs> thing I had planned that was going to delay the fight. He's looking at his calendar. He's like, when do I schedule the LASIK eye surgery? Okay, let's do it right... Let's do it near the Julian Williams fight. We'll push that thing back. <laughs> Sounds like a perfect time. Yeah. What a fucking joke, man. Those guys... <laughs> Oh, who knows? If he goes back down to 147, he looks healthy at 154. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, stops Jesus Soto Carras. All right, let's rewind to Friday night, then. Danny Jacobs versus Sergio Mora, too, for the junior varsity WBA middleweight title. I'm still, you know, I, I know people are tired of me beating this dead horse. I just do not understand the concept of masquerading as a world champion when you're not. See, it blows my mind that so many people buy into that, that so many people are willing to make themselves sound like absolute retards because the noise isn't loud enough because there's only a small handful of guys like us that see this kind of absolute bullshit that goes on. But the credibility, the excitement, any kind of anticipation that I had leading up to this fight, whether I wanted to watch it or not, once I turned on the TV, I was thoroughly entertained by the, by the co-feature, so I, I stayed around for the main event, and once the narrative started pumping, I said, I have absolutely no desire to watch this fucking charade of Danny Jacobs, a guy that's not quite good enough to compete at the world level, masquerading around, flaunting a belt that's not even owned by him, who's too much of a pussy to get in the ring with the guy that he's going around acting, acting the fool, toting around that belt, running his mouth nonstop, 
fights against a guy that in my eyes, I don't give a fuck what anybody wants to argue with me about this. You will never convince me in a million years that Sergio Mora is not a fucking shot fighter. And the fact that Sergio Mora carried Danny Jacobs that far into the fight before his fucking body collapsed is a joke. Danny Jacobs is a sloppy fighter. His form is horrible. He throws his hooks from his fucking elbows. And I'm sick and tired of everybody jumping on this bandwagon. It is an illusion. Is it the tone of my voice that causes you not to listen to me when I tell you all out there in the fucking universe that this guy is not a world champion? He's not, he's not a world champion. He makes a comment in the post fight. Oh, I don't know why I'm not more famous. What? <laughs> because you're pretending. Yeah. You're pretending to be a world-class fighter. You're pretending to be the world champion. You're a fucking joke. Your success over cancer does not allow you to lie for the rest of your life to try to make a career. It's horseshit. You said it, brother. There ain't nothing else needs to be said. That, that fight was garbage. Give me a bra. I don't even want to talk about it the was, fucking fight. It was fight. absolute garbage. Yeah, let's get to the real fight. And I really don't care about him calling it. Dude, you're just like every other bitch in the 160-pound division. All you do is run your mouth and do nothing about it. Yep. Just shut up. Just, that's all you have to do. Just be quiet. Stop pretending. This is a real fucking thing. You would think a guy who survived cancer, death was knocking at his fucking door, would gain perspective on reality in life. Nah. That that would, uh, that would be a moment of clarity. Instead, it was an opportunity to seize something that does not exist. I just would like to know what Heyman tells these guys, like what he whispers in their ears to create these... These these most unself-aware motherfuckers in boxing, they, they, their view of themselves in the sport is so fucking clouded and misconstrued. It's like, hey, guy, you wonder why you're not more famous? Uh, because you don't get promoted. You fight bums. You fight once or twice a year against guys that people are... The name Sergio Mora will even ring to a fucking casual that hasn't watched boxing in five years because of that fucking contender show. Do they still think that, like, people are go, oh, the guy from contender? <laughs> oh, that's cool, man. He's fighting for the championship? Dude, Tommy Lang built a lucrative career off of being the guy from the contender. <laughs> hey, I went to a couple of his fights. <laughs> that's awesome. At George Mason University. Hey, he's a superstar there. And man. he got his ass whooped twice and got decisions. <laughs> it was such a joke. Such hometown cooking. Oh my god. Yeah, but that but what's crazy to me is is that he is that he can sell out a stadium. Yeah. He can sell out a stadium. And what was even more remarkable to me is that this guy who wonders why he is not bigger. Did you watch the fucking co-feature? Because it seemed to me that the crowd was there for Robert Easter. Yeah. That was a Robert Easter crowd. Oh. They put it in Pennsylvania because they're like, well, if we put Jacobs in his hometown and think that he's going to be the draw, we're not going to make any money. So let's put somebody on the co-feature. We'll put it kind of in between New York and, and, and Ohio, and uh, maybe we'll sell some tickets. Those people drove seven hours to come and support Robert Easter Jr. for this fight. And it just goes to show you, how disgraceful the PBC has been, not only in promoting this guy, but pumping his head full of absolute nonsense. Mm -hmm. Making this guy think, dude, what is a guy who never thought in his entire life, probably, I don't know what his grades were in high school, I don't know how he grew up, but 
Do you think this guy, Danny Jacobs, thought for one second, I want to grow up to be a, 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 a color commentator on TV. I want to be a journalist. <laughs> no, but guess what? The NFL has set this precedence by overpaying a bunch of idiots to sit there and tell me something I already fucking know. Right. Like as if that validates because some former player said it, whose head is made of scrambled eggs. If you ain't been on the field or in the ring, Ken, you, ain't, you shouldn't be talking Listen, about Listen, motherfucker, it. I've been in enough fights. I've got my ass beat, and I've beat enough ass. I have fucking... <laughs> played football before, so I do understand what it's like to get your head fucking beat around. And I probably deserve to get my head beat around in a, <laughs> in a, in, you know, in a couple of those altercations, no doubt. Um, now, man, I just think this entire thing is a, is a total farce. And I tell you what, if it was not for Robert Easter mm-hmm. versus Richard Comey... What a fight. What an unbelievable fight, Ben. What'd you think about it? I, I, I thought that was some of the most highly skilled boxing I've seen in a long time. Both of those guys are so fucking good. I, I mean... You honestly could have scored the fight either way. I mean, this was a razor, razor thin. Uh, Easter landed that huge right hand in the 12th round that, you know, in some cases may have been the difference in the fight. Yeah. And the fact that Kami did not hit the fucking canvas. Oh, he did a Matrix move on that. It It popped right up. Unbelievable. I think these guys will be meeting again, whether it be at 135 or 140 later on down the line. Uh I, I expect to see these guys fight again for more belts. Yeah, yeah. I think I think Robert Easter early on in the fight kind of fell into the stereotypical reputation of American fighters when they step up and take a big fight. Mm-hmm. They get trapped in the one-two, or they land one good solid punch and don't follow it up. I think a lot. I think some of that. I don't blame so much on Easter in the sense that he could have handled this a lot sooner had he followed up his punches but it is something that's extremely frustrating but i will say this it does become quite difficult sometimes to be able to put together multi-punch combinations when the guy you're fighting is strictly headhunting yeah. because for probably 80 to 90 percent of that fight all Kami was doing was swinging for the fences and going for the head and i kept saying to myself while i'm watching this fight i'm, I'm just saying it out loud i'm like stop headhunting go for his body you're fighting a guy Whose fucking kidneys are in your eyes? Yeah. Like you should be, th- like you should be going to the body. But he headhunted, and it cost him rounds early in the fight because Kami turned it on late. That fight turned into a barn burner, and Easter closed the show. And that, to me, was the difference in the fight overall. My scorecard read differently, though. I wasn't sure. I just was kind of thinking my scorecard would add up because I wasn't looking back mm-hmm. that it would add up to something close to a draw. Turns out on my scorecard, I actually had Kami winning 114 to 113, but I have no qualms, no complaints, yeah. and I do not wish to argue about the decision whatsoever because I'm fine with it. Yeah, you, you could score it either way. There's no, you can't say, ah, oh, there's no way you could have had Kami in that fight. There's no way you, no. That right there is about as close as you're going to get of a fight. Uh, I'm just super impressed with the with the skill that was on display from both of them. Young guys proving that they are fucking ready. They are, uh, you know, 135 pounds just got a little bit more interesting with, with what those two guys did on Friday night because you throw two young guys into the mix with a, an already established four really good 135-pounders right now. Uh, there, there could be some really good fights, and, and I'll tell you what, Robert Easter and Richard Kami might be the two best. Maybe. They might be the two best 135-pounders right now. Maybe. Skill-wise, you'd have a hard time proving you wrong there. Right. Experience-wise? No, yeah. I mean, there's some really gritty 135ers, but what's crazy to me, and I know like boxing goes through cycles, so certain divisions deliver throughout certain periods of time depending on you know what weight classes are filled with what talent. 
But I will say this. Since you and I have started this boxing podcast, the division that has delivered on the most consistent basis with quality fights has been the lightweight division with the cruiserweight division coming in a close section. But 135 has, de- has delivered many great fights every year for the last two years since we started the boxing podcast. Guys, Anyways. That, guys that aren't scared to fight each other. What, no. do you, what do you know? No. Dude, Linares didn't have to take that fight against Kevin Mitchell. No. And travel to take that fight. He, he could have done anything to avoid that fight. But he went over there, got hit around a little bit. Yeah, got beat up for four rounds. In a, in a really, really dangerous fight. Those are the kind of fights... Crossroad fighters that are tough as hell, that are right on the cusp of winning a championship against the perennial best classical boxer with a little bit of power in the division. Mm-hmm. Guys, in 147 and 154 are the perfect example of how these guys will not take that kind of risk. They'll only take it if it comes in a mandatory fashion and they get defensive and, and, and backpedal and avoid that kind of conversation. 135 right now, enter Mikey Garcia, mm-hmm. okay? Enter Robert Easter Jr. Now we have seen what Richard Kami can do at that level. Linares, Kralla, dude, Zlati Cannon. Flanagan. Flanagan. It's the loaded. division is loaded and may now be the best division in boxing. Uh, yeah, I, I think that they are definitely staking their claim, and we'll see, you know, we'll see if they continue to deliver at that division. There's still some youth. With these big fights and... and I just don't see any way – I don't think anybody in that division can beat Robert Easter tomorrow. That's just my opinion of, of, of how skillful this guy is. And if I'm going to say that, as close as that fight was, and I think Easter won, he nicked that fight against Kami. Very fucking close. I, it just – how can you not say Kami isn't the second best? If, I, if I'm going to make that statement, yeah. I, I almost have to. But you're right. Fucking Lenars Kralla. I mean, what Kralla has proven to be in these last two years, and I – this is a guy that I fucking, you know, I, I hate to say it about fighters. If there's one guy that I question who might be <laughs> on some shit, it might be Anthony Crowler because all of a sudden in his late 20s and early 30s, he's transformed. Physically, magically. But, yeah. He went from just a kind of a spindly little skinny dude to now he comes out and he's got muscles on top of muscles. <laughs> I don't know. Must be that purple drink. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I'm not going to fucking say it, but I'm saying it. <laughs> but I know what you're saying. Yeah. But I know what you're saying. But I will disagree with you, though, Ben, because I think today, maybe not four or five fights from now, let's be honest, Robert Easter just fought his only real opponent he's oh, ever yeah. fought. Yeah. I think Mikey Garcia picks him apart. I think he's too too yeah. experienced. Yeah. I, I'm sleeping on my – I'm still – I'm not – I haven't settled into the fact that he's actually fighting again. Well, yeah. I, I, dude, well, how long did it take – I mean, let's be honest. I'm not even still fucking settled into the fact that Andre Ward's fighting again, <laughs> especially with the trash that he's been fucking scraping off you know, the pavement. You know, it's like uh, he's not even a, a thought when it comes to – like, I got to get back into the, hey, yeah, Mikey Garcia is a player and he's fighting now. Dude, let's be honest. Too much Ellie Secback will make – Anybody forget. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it really will. It will. It'll turn your fucking brain to mush, that's it'll, for sure. It'll turn it off um, is what it'll do. Robert Easter, the new IVF lightweight champion of the world, another, you know, another division. Look, we'll, look, whether you agree with the lightweight division being the best division now in boxing, whether you think this division is or not, do not present the argument that 154 pounds is the best division. No. Those guys don't fight each other. You have to take into account if you can make such a bold statement to declare a division as being the best. You have to look at the fact of whether these guys actually fight one another. Don't sit here and scream from the mountaintops that you're the fucking world champion when the biggest fight of your career comes against a 58-year-old one-legged canine Bundridge. (laughs) 
No, I fucking agree. <laughs> 58-year-old. No, not 63. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Um, so, it look, all in all, um, I was really happy with the Robert Easter Jr. fight. Um, Chocolatito versus Quadras, Kamigai versus Soto Cross, Robert Easter Jr. versus Richard Kami, and Triple G versus Brook for as long as it lasted. Without the effort and the heart of Kel Brook, yeah. that fight is a little less exciting. But I will say this. I haven't had that kind of like exhilarating sort of um, adrenaline anxiety during a fight yeah. in a while that I had for Golovkin versus Brook, and it was Brook that made me feel that way. No, you're exactly right. I, the same way, was watching that fight in the beginning, and I'm like, dude, I'm getting fucking getting tingly here. <laughs> <laughs> but I hate to say that tingly feeling is going to be short-lived, then. <laughs> you think? Yeah, because we're moving into the preview of Canelo Alvarez uh. versus Liam Smith. Uh, this Saturday night, HBO pay-per-view from Jarrah's World. Be it, careful, Ken. Don't be a hypocrite <clears throat> when talking about this fight. Oh, that's right. You were very hypocritical last week. Uh, yeah, very hypocritical. <laughs> God forbid that I actually objectively criticize one of my favorite fighters. Yeah. This is the thing that people, I, I swear sometimes you say one line or a section of a phrase that sets somebody off and they tune out and stop listening oh. to the rest of it. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, Canelo Alvarez is still one of my personal. This has nothing to do with the fucking show. One is still in my top five personal favorite fighters and most favorite fighters to watch. Not just favorite, but I also view Canelo to be one of the six best fighters in the fucking world. So if I come down hard on him, it's because he deserves it. Because I will pump sunshine up his ass like I have on many episodes prior to this one. Right. I will bring the same love and same criticism when it's deserved. So stop calling me a fucking hypocrite and stop saying that I hate Canelo Alvarez because it is exactly the opposite. What he did involving Triple G was a total bitch move. Stop making excuses and stop regurgitating the same bullshit that comes out of Oscar De La Hoya right. and Canelo's mouth. Because it's just that. If you want to eat bullshit, your, your breath is going to smell like bullshit. <laughs> right? You're exactly right, my friend. Canelo Alvarez versus Liam Smith. Canelo said that all he is focused on right now, Vin, is winning a world title. The li- <clears throat> this is coming out of the mouth who is still regarded as the lineal middleweight champion of the world. Didn't seem to care about that one, did he? No. Well, where, where, did, where did things change in between here and then? Yeah, I don't know, Vin. <laughs> and the noise just keeps getting louder for this fight, and I don't, I'm not sure if it's in a positive way or not, because, dude, there are so many fucking Smiths that fight professionally that are brothers that their crowd of fans that support them has got to be one of the most obnoxious of all time. Liam Smith is a tough kid. Okay, he's got enough defense, or I should say his Arthur Abraham. You sure he's a kid? He looks like he's about 58 years old when I see pictures of him. He's 58, too? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that full head of gray hair. I, I'm just like, this, this dude looks old. Yeah. He yeah. looks old. He's got an Arthur Abraham style of defense. He stays in the high guard. He comes poking forward with a long, slow jab. little plotting, isn't he? He is very plotting. Slightly plotting. I think that Liam Smith was chosen for two reasons. I think he was chosen because he brings an enormous U.K. fan base, and the money right now in boxing mm-hmm. is in the U.K., and you can see Canelo grabbing for it just as much as you can see Triple Every, G grabbing. Everybody. everybody. So uh, everybody is, is definitely going where the, where the getting is good for right now. Mm-hmm. But let's be honest what the actual reason, part two of this is, is that Team Reynoso, Team Canelo, Team Golden Boy all know very well that this is the perfect plotting fighter for Canelo to display 
his much improved, continuously improved, because he's one of the hardest workers at his craft in boxing, his ability to swivel, maneuver, and counterpunch with enormous power because his feet are always set. This opponent was chosen to bring all these people from across the pond to tune in to watch Canelo brutalize this guy. It may not be until the 10th or 11th round. Canelo's going to hurt this kid. Oh, I, I think Liam Smith is going down in a big way in this fight. You know, it, it may not be as big as the Amir Khan knockout, but it's going to be somewhere close because you're right. Smith is fucking Taylor, Taylor made for the way Canelo fights. It, it, it's We're going to see a display of boxing from this, the way that Smith fights. We're going to see a display of boxing from Canelo where everybody's going to go. Damn, he looked excellent. But let's you have to keep when this happens because it will happen. Have some perspective of who he was in the ring with. You know, we're I, I I will give him credit, and we we will always give Canelo credit. But I'm not going to come away from this fight if he does knock out Liam Smith, saying, "Oh well, now Canelo's ready for a Triple G," or he's he's. It's just you have to have perspective when the guy is fighting somebody that we know he is going to fucking destroy. Dude, last year, last year, okay, look, I give Liam Smith credit for fighting four times last year, mm-hmm. but last year he fought a guy that was 10-8-2. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, actually, at the time of the fight, yeah, so, okay, whatever, 10-8-2. That goes to show you, this is a very much a Scott Quigg situation here with Liam Smith in the sense that he's got these diehard, rabid fans that overvalue and overestimate how good this, this guy really is. Mm-hmm. The worst thing that could happen in this fight is, is if he stymies Canelo. He's not going to make Canelo look bad, but if the, if the fight ends up looking bad or if the fight ends up looking boring, you're, you are going to hear the same people that said, oh, Quig won that fight. Well, Quig won that fight because Quig Frampton was so boring and it didn't deliver on the level that they thought it was going to and their guy disappointed them so much that they began to make excuses. And you're going to hear the same thing. Canelo has to get rid of him early, okay? Mm-hmm. And then when he does, it will prove that, dude, you've been fighting the Jimmy Kilrain Kellys of the world. Let, let's put this into perspective. You and I have covered the Smith brothers for a long time. We think Callum, who has yet to get his first title shot, is the best of the bunch. Yes. Okay? By, far, by far. By far. By far. I completely agree with you. I had watched a ton of Liam Smith and the Smith brothers over the last three or four years. And I will tell you this, Vin. I legitimately, okay, and, and I, I promise you, I was not already six beers in. Mm-hmm. I hadn't smoked any Doja, okay? <laughs> but I legitimately picked John Thompson to beat Liam Smith. I think I did, too. That's how underwhelming vanilla. Okay, he's sturdy. Yeah. Great. Ooh. So that means he'll just stand there and take punches longer before he, before he falls down. Do you think anything in his arsenal with those slow-ass arm punches, even if he lands on Canelo, Canelo is going to fucking start laughing because yes. it tickles so much. Yeah, I, I, look, I, I just picture Canelo landing nothing but huge, huge shots in this fight. It's just a matter of how many can Liam Smith take. Uh, about 10 rounds worth, probably yeah. about 300 power punches. I'm not even going to give him 10. I want to say this bitch is over in seven. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. Oh this, man. this this is the fact that I am previewing a pay per view fight with Liam Smith on it makes me fucking sick to my stomach. Does it? I don't even want to fucking talk about it. I don't want to pay for it. I know that fucking much. This will be this is in a long time. Uh, there's been a few pay per views that I haven't paid for because I'm a fucking mark for the sport. 
I can't help it. Even if I say I'm not going to by the time Saturday evening rolls around at 8.30. You're looking for something to do. I want to be like, look, I got to pay for this fucking shit, you know? <laughs> and I, I, This one is getting streamed. You know, you it's know, getting streamed. I'm not contributing to this fucking horse shit. They, they say uh, there's a sucker born every day. Yeah. A boxing fan is a sucker every day. Oh, yeah. Fool me once. Shame on me. Fool me uh, 99,000 times. Uh, yeah. Shame on you, boxing. Yeah. Yeah. You need to probably be admitted uh, to some kind of a clinic. Yeah. Um, the co-feature in this very underwhelming two guys that got brutalized by Gennady Golovkin are in the co-feature. Gabe Rosado and William Monroe Jr. I have positive opinions of both guys. I love the heart of Gabriel Rosado. And I was excited that these two might be involved in this pay-per-view, mm-hmm. but as quality opponents for, say, a champion or a guy that fucking charades as a, as a you know, the charlatan that runs around with that WBO 160 over in Europe, the ballless Billy Joe Saunders. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So these guys would have been perfect for that. Yeah. But he turned down fights with both of them. So we are left with these two to fight one another. I'm just going to say it like this. Uh, Rosado is a little worse for wear. Mm-hmm. He's been through the ringer. He's gotten better as a boxer, but uh, Willie Monroe Jr. is a southpaw, and I think he's a little bit more athletic, and I think he wins a decision, and that's all I have to say. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't care about this fight. This fight means nothing. Who wins, then? Monroe, <laughs> by decision. <laughs> Good. Yeah, glad you got that out there. I know that's been weighing on you. Yeah. Let's, let's fucking get past this card, please. Jojo Diaz, Andrew Concio. The one fucking saving grace is Jojo Diaz, and he's fighting a guy that he's going to fucking destroy. Right, but he's still a prospect. Yes, and I love, love watching that kid fight. So do I. Uh, Diego De La Hoya improves every fight, brings it every fight. Mm-hmm. You may not know much about him other than his last name, but Diego De La Hoya is the kind of fighter, win, lose, or draw. He may not be the most talented once he gets to the world level. He will bring it 100% of the time in every single fight, and he is hella exciting. Uh, he gets better every fight, too. He does. He really does. It, it, who knows where the ceiling is, but you're right. This kid is an exciting fighter to watch. Six fights ago, remember? Oh. He, he was wild and rough, sketchy. Yeah. And it was like, whoa, dude, we know, you're, we, we know you got some power, but your technique is yeah. leaving us wanting a bit. He tightens, tightens up a little bit every fight. Yeah, he does. But I tell you what, man, he's got a motor. He does. And he's exciting. And he's exciting. So, yeah, I guess if there is a positive spin on this. But guess what, Vin? Because we don't think that this is the greatest fight in the world, and we think that Liam Smith is what he is, and one of our favorite fighters, Canelo Alvarez, pissed us off by, by the little bitch move he pulled with Gennady Golovkin. Well, guess what? You called me at the opening of this segment. You're a fucking hypocrite, Vin. Hey, I'll take it. Whatever. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Okay, listen. I'm gonna. You can say whatever the fuck you want to say. Yeah. Well, what I'm about to say is going to brighten your day, and that tingle may come right back. Oh, <laughs> uh, the one thing that it, l- let's get the disappointing aspect of this out of the way. It's on fucking AWE again. Yeah. Okay. So hopefully, Team K2 puts this fight on YouTube Live like the last few have been. But all that bullshit aside, we'll find a way because Christoph Glavatsky, who has continued to impress. Fight after fight, the WBO cruiserweight champion of the world squares off against our number one prospect from the 2015 prospect list. That list containing so many guys that are now champions or a mandatory to a championship belt. I think it's eight of ten. Eight, eight of ten. Eight of ten. Well, guess what? Now we're going for nine of ten because mm-hmm. Alexander Usyk is now uh, going to get his shot. And this guy, in my opinion, Ben, um, I would say 
from 175 now just do cruiserweight and heavyweights combined mm-hmm. there's no man that can that is either currently a heavyweight or will one day become a heavyweight so that includes the 200 pounders right that is more skilled he is the most skilled fighter on the planet from 200 pounds and up period yeah his his boxing ability is fucking top notch i mean top notch you mix in with that a fucking he's got scary power he can he can finish you in a a number of ways he throws every fucking punch you can throw, and he throws them beautifully and hard. I, this is this fight has been on my radar for so fucking long. I've been waiting for the the day that Usyk is fucking crowned because I'm I don't I'm telling everybody right now this guy is something special. He is not going to be beat in the cruiserweight division for a long long time. This is going to be a reign that. I'm I'm going to say last as long until he moves up to heavyweight, and then that reign will begin. I I hope so. I, you know I we'll 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 see if how he deals with the size moving up and, and the punching power may be a difference at heavyweight. But you're right. There's no boxer that's better than him right now between cruiserweight and heavyweight. He, he's the most skilled boxer by far. But there hasn't been a fighter that was a a successful uh, you know a cruiserweight champion that went on to be a heavyweight champion that reigned at both weight classes since Evander Holyfield. Yeah. Okay? That reigned at both weight classes. Mm -hmm. All right? Evander Holyfield not only was a great cruiserweight and a very small heavyweight, but he's one of the ten greatest heavyweights of all time. He's one of the ten greatest cruiserweights of all time, probably. (laughs) There you go. And, 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 And that is the perspective I think we're reaching for right here. Yeah. Is that Alexander Usyk could be. He's cut from the same... Cloth. We don't know what his heart is like yet. Right. Evander Holyfield's heart was stronger than any skill or any opponent he ever fought. Yeah, That is what carried him into legendary, iconic status. Here's what we know about Alexander Usyk. That will be proven because, dude, he's walking into this fight right now. This will be his 10th professional fight. He's 9-0 and with nine knockouts. The future is bright. This guy right here has the potential to be great in both weight classes. And if he has the heart... To go along with his boxing skill, that'll be plenty enough because he's much bigger than Evander Holyfield. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And look, this is But the heavyweights today are much bigger, so Yeah, yeah. We're we're you know, we're talking about this fight and we're not even mentioning Glavatsky. <laughs> and I feel bad because he's a fucking hell of a fighter. Oh, he's awesome. But he's he's run into something here that's just a little bit different. This isn't Marco Hook. This isn't just a fucking brawler that comes forward and throws big shots. This guy is fucking highly skilled and cerebral and has the extensive amateur background to back everything up that he does, uh, Glavatsky's in for it. He's going to catch a beat down in this fight, I think. I think he's going to get stopped somewhere late in this fight. Nine, ten, mm-hmm. he's going to get stopped. I agree. Um, the round, not sure. Because I honestly feel like Usyk's one of these guys that whenever he decides, when the, when the opening comes for him to throw a power shot, because he throws his punches with different speeds. I think the thing that's going to drive Glavatsky absolutely insane in this fight, not only is he going to be fighting against a bigger man, mm. actually a much bigger man, mm-hmm. and, and Usyk, is that Usyk is frenetic. He never stops moving. Yeah. Ever. He's always moving. Very, <clears throat> excuse me, very athletic for a guy that big. Yeah, in and out, constantly moving, great, great footwork. He kind of boxes in the same way, you know, and, and we're comparing a 115-pounder, at least I am, a 115-pounder to a 200-pounder, you know? Mm-hmm. But rarely do you find a guy at 200 pounds that boxes like a 115-pounder. Right. But the way that he operates 
at range and when he gets inside on the pocket where it seems like, dude, he's right there to hit. He's always making those subtle moves. He's always making those moves. The, the, the blows glance off the shoulder. How many times in the first half of that fight last night, Chocolatito and Quadras, did you see him shimming and shaking? There was a 40-second close, and I want to say it was in the eighth round of that fight where Chocolatito opens up about 40 seconds left in the round, and Quadras is winging bombs at him, and everything is bouncing off the shoulder. He made Quadras miss six or seven times in a row. That's the kind of movement that you get from a guy that is basically a giant. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's what makes him so interesting. And I think that that's why he's got so many people excited. The more we learn about K2 promotions, though, Vin, is that the entities, I I, I heard in an interview with a, I don't know if it was a Russian or a, um, uh, a Kazakh paper, an interview with Gennady Golovkin that was translated into English. Mm-hmm. And they asked him about, like, so why don't, you know, you guys co-promote with, like, the Klitschkos or, you know, any of the guys from the Ukraine or whatever? And he said, Tom Loeffler works for me. He doesn't, he, he's licensed under K2, but we have nothing to do with the Klitschko brothers. We're not associated with them. Right. We just operate under their promotional license. Right. So he gives them free reign, basically. Right, which also, I mean, I guess there's still a likelihood because it is they, there is some kind of business connection there right. that you could see them trying to bring Usyk over under the K2 banner with Golovkin, which makes absolute perfect sense. Mm-hmm. But it is yet to be seen which American outlet will get their hands on Alexander Usyk because this fight being not on the PBC televised and this fight being in Poland tells me that the PBC's options on Christoph Glavatsky have run out. Yeah, and look, I, I, I almost would like to see, and I, I hate to say this, but it's almost, I feel like the, the best landing place for Usyk might fucking be the PBC because they, they have access. They are able to, to get options on these guys and are able to make fights at cruiserweight. I, I, you know, I don't know where he goes. You know, Obviously, in my opinion, HBO is not looking to, to bring in anybody new. I feel like they're fucking making their way out of the. They're slowly backing away from the sport, and they're starting it right now. You know where this guy ends up is going to be huge for him as far as how big he is going to be in his career because he's going to be he's going to have a belt for a long time. Uh, he he needs to be promoted correctly in this country, and nobody fucking knows him yet. Nobody knows anything about him. No. Hardly anybody's talking about this fight, which blows my fucking mind. Well, I mean, dude, it's it's you know. You know, we're we're cooler than you because we know somebody you know. That's how the In A Way fans act. <laughs> They're like, oh, yeah? But do you know any Japanese boxers? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, but, dude, I'll tell you what. There are plenty of fights out there for Usyk. Yeah. So, yeah, and maybe being a free agent in a sense yeah. and being willing to negotiate with everybody. That should be the way it is. There, there honestly should not be fighters shouldn't be tied to networks and tied to this and that. They should be able to operate freely in, in the sport. You should be able to go wherever the fuck you want and fight. Yeah. Who's going to, whoever was going to offer you the most go there. All right. I'm dropping my prediction now. Yeah. I think Glavatsky, he's aggressive. He's tough as hell, throws bombs. I think he's going to catch Usyk. And I think Usyk is going to probably play with his food for the first four or five rounds and box. He'll lay the hammer in the seventh. Seventh round? Seventh round. I'll I'll go a little bit later. I'll go ninth round stoppage. Tune into this one if you can. I mean, I don't know where they have the AWE network, but apparently it exists, but just not in one of the largest. It's it's on Verizon. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. That is it, my friend. So Verizon is in like two counties. maybe Dish Network. 
is 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 Fios in D, it's in DC, it's in Montgomery County, mm-hmm. and that's it. Yeah, they just they just cut their lines off right there, dude. Comcast dominates the fucking industry. Yeah, Time Warner Cable, like who's gonna get the tune? Who knows? I don't know anything about West Coast programming. Maybe everybody gets it over there, just like they get all the good fights. Yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. Either way, uh, you gotta watch yourself, Christoph Kowalski versus Alexander Usyk. And I promise you, I will be looking around for a live HD YouTube feed. And as soon as I find one, if I do, usually bad, uh, badlefthook.com usually has all the skinny right. on the international fights and where you can watch them at. Right. But uh, trust me, I'll be retweeting it as soon as I find out. Oh, yeah. And there's no way I'm fucking missing this fight. I will run through fire, go to the ends of the earth. I'm fucking watching this fight. Yeah. Live. Uh, absolutely. So, uh, man, I think that does it. I mean, we got... An awesome weekend of uh, of of boxing mm-hmm. to kick off the busy season once again. Um, whatever you think of Canelo versus Liam Smith, it is a big event. Yeah, um, you know, and there's some interesting prospects on the undercard. To me, Kovatsky versus Usyk the fight of the weekend. Yeah, it's not even close. Boxing is is back on the radar for now, Ken. Yeah, it's back on the radar for now. But there's big fights coming up. We got Carlo and Arez next week. Is that the fi- I was going to say? Is that two weeks or the following? I think week? it's the twenty fourth, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, it is on the 24th. So we'll be back with episode 132, post-fight of uh, the fights we just previewed and a preview of Lenars versus Kralla. So we don't need any filler fluff? No, no bullshit. <laughs> Actually, I do got one piece of bullshit for you to chew on real quick. Um, what would you think about in the, in the post-fight of Robert Easter winning his first world title? Adrian Broner tries to take the shine by announcing the unthinkable, Vin. I mean, I, I think that Adrian Broner should be inducted into the Hall of Fame because of this comment, mm-hmm. and I'm sure his followers would agree with me, because it is a, an about billions type comment. He has called out, yes, no, not Danny Garcia, no, not Keith Thurman, no, 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 not Amir Khan, no. But guess who he wants a piece of next? You, you didn't think it could get any crazier or obscure than calling out Ashley Theophane, <laughs> a guy that nobody had ever heard of, right? Right. He calls out a guy that more people have heard of in Ricky Burns. Ricky Burns? Ricky Burns. How did Ricky Burns got the WBA title that was lost on the scales because fat-ass sloppy Broner, who looked in the telecast of the PBC, looked like he was walking around, what, 195, Ugh. 200? He didn't, look, he didn't look healthy. He looked fat. Yeah. And he wore a white T-shirt, which made him look even fatter. I'm so tired of Broner. I, I, really, this guy, is, is there anybody in the sport that is continually given a pass? He probably will get this fight, and he'll fucking beat Ricky Burns. It's just why, what, what is this guy, where's the equity with this guy? What, I, I just thought it doesn't make any fucking sense why he's continually given chances and shots. Is it because he's a train wreck? If that's why, if that's what we're doing, then uh, okay, fine. But the, it just doesn't add up. Like, the fucking guy... Is a complete disgrace to the sport, but the sport continually gives him passes. Then, you don't understand, man. You're you're a white guy. Uh, you're you're probably right. You know what I mean? Like how how could you possibly comprehend the gifts that this guy has received? One of the biggest fuck ups of all time in the history of sports. Continually getting chance after chance after chance. He is one of the most polarizing figures in sports. Mm-hmm. He's one of the most famous unknown people you'll ever meet in your entire life. This guy, to me, man, he's as much entertainment as he is nonsense. He doesn't deserve anything. So if he wants soft touches, then take fucking soft touches in the time that is supposed to be 
your physical prime. But instead, he's going to fight the Alik Bak Berdibibidev, Skibidevs, coming off a fucking a loss for a world title. Right. Now we're going to go after a guy in Ricky Burns who everybody knows is one punch away from drinking out of a straw. He's Yeah, he's, come on, he's done as a fighter. All respect to the Scotsman. He is a, yeah. he's a tough son of a bitch, but he fell into a fucking belt because Broner had too many nachos and doesn't give a fuck about weigh-ins yeah. or belts. Yeah. It's, it's sad, man. It's fucking sad. And then the PBC will do just like they did. Remember uh, 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 one of the first, P- I think it was the first PBC card. It was Robert Guerrero versus Keith Thurman, mm-hmm. right? And they promoted it. Uh, I remember driving down the road listening to Sports Talk Radio. Six-time world champion, Robert Guerrero. Six-time He world- won two belts, and weren't they both vacant? <laughs> yes. That's such a fucking joke, man. It's six time world champion. What is this? A fucking WWE? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so what will they announce after Broner beats the old slow white Scotsman? Right? Yeah. Is he gonna say I'm a five time world champion? Yeah. He two, will two times at the same weight class. I oh. mean he's come on. How what? many cheeseburgers in between is it he's just gonna vacate it again? Because he's an undisciplined, lazy fuck and who fights, only fights because he spends stink. all of his money. His fights stink. His fights are fucking boring. He has turned into a boring fighter. <laughs> he throws 15 punches around. <laughs> then let me ask you a question. Not that you have experience in this category. What are they feeding these guys in jail nowadays? I, I, I didn't think it was fucking physically possible to get that fat bread and in potato, prison. But bread and potatoes, man. Straight carbs. Starch. Pasta. Yeah, but you know what? Adrian Brunner's the type of bitch that'll go up to the smallest white guy and steal his food. You know what I mean? He'll go bully the small white guy. He'll have his, like, seven-foot fucking big fat black guys who can't even fucking walk two feet without having, uh, you know, fucking pulmonary embolism. He probably walks in jail, and then the guys go, who the fuck is this motherfucker? Little fake-ass Rick Ross. <laughs> <laughs> Who's this little five-foot-three Rick Ross? Is it, no, fucking Napoleon Bonaparte and Rick Ross had a kid. It would look, be Adrian Broner. He, he walks through the uh, the prison cells, and he's like, anybody can get it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> fucking Broner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then and then he gets thrown into the fucking corner of a cell and, and he, says. He gets he said, it, all right. <laughs> yeah. They'll be like, oh, yeah? Well, you can get it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh, Adrian Broner Adrian gotta Broner. love him gotta love him about billions <laughs> oh man he's about burritos these days <laughs> should change his name to ABBF about big black fellas <laughs> <laughs> he's been binge eating in depression from the pounding that he took in prison oh my god it did look like there's a different look on his face like he'd been turned out <laughs> like, why is he why is he walking bow-legged? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, with that right there, we will end episode 131. Close the book on this one, buddy. Yes, sir, indeed. Um, but we'll be back next week with episode 132 as we bring in the post-fight of Canelo versus Smith and all the action from Poland as Krzysztof Klobowski defends his WBO cruiserweight title against Oleksandr Usyk. Be sure to tune in to Glavatsky versus Usyk, and we'll have a preview of Jorge Linares versus Anthony Kralla, a big fight from the United Kingdom. But until then, we'd like to thank you all for tuning in to the Pound for Pound King of Boxing podcasts, The Tale of the Tape. I'm Kenny Keith. Follow me on Twitter at Kenny Keith Jr. Follow my co-host Vince Cummings at Vince Cummings 
81. Be sure to subscribe to the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast today at sportsrantradio.com. All of the links are available for you there. Subscribe to the show today. Vin, I will see you after Glavatsky Usyk. Oh, indeed. It's going to be a big one. So until then, enjoy the fights this weekend. And we appreciate all of you taking time out of your busy schedule as the boxing season ramps back up to tune in to the pound for pound king of boxing podcasts, the tale of the tape. Muchas gracias, everybody.